Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Welcome to the 1045 service. I want to take you back a few months, about three and a half months, when there was five minutes and 15 seconds left on the clock of Super Bowl chapter number 57, and the Eagles had just killed all the momentum that the Chiefs built through a 65-yard punt return that ended in a touchdown to tie the game back up or to put the Chiefs ahead in the game. With 5.15 left on the clock, the Eagles just scored another touchdown. Jalen Hurts just broke the Super Bowl record with a third rushing touchdown. And we now, as fans, are like, what the heck is about to happen? Well, you're getting ahead of me, Vern. (laughs) It's called building tension. And so we waited, Vern, wait. We waited with bated breath as we watched 12 plays happen one after the other, wondering what are we going to do? How are we going to pull this off? And then when Harrison Butker's kick went through the uprights, there was a brief exhale as we took a three-point lead. But there was a problem. The problem was there was still time on the clock. And when the Eagles ran back out onto the field after the kickoff, there were six seconds left on the clock. So the Eagles come on the field. Jalen Hurts is organizing everybody. The Chiefs are in a prevent defense. Jalen Hurts looks around and hikes the ball, and the clock starts to tick. He steps back and dances for a moment, allowing time for his receivers to get down the field. Tick, tock. He begins to step up into the pocket as the defensive ends for the Chiefs begin to come in around him, tick, tock. And then finally, as the clock hits zero, he he leans back and he launches the ball as far as he can. And for, for those of us normal people who were watching on TV, what we didn't know was where the ball was going because the, the camera angle wasn't panned out wide enough to be able to know. All we knew is that somewhere down there are Eagles players and Jalen Hurts just chucked it for all he could. And collectively, you could feel the oxygen in Kansas City leave the city as we all inhaled. (gasps) Until we saw the ball hit the dirt. And immediately as the defensive players lifted their hands and the Chiefs players stormed the field and Andy Reid gets doused with Gatorade, the entire city of Kansas City lets out a massive exhale of joy and shouts and exuberation. We did it! We won! And now, I don't know a single person who debates the fact that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Now, we can debate and argue about some little things, like was it a holding penalty or not? And anyone with half a brain and half an eyeball could see that was clearly a holding penalty. And if you're an Eagles fan, then we need to anoint you with oil and pray for healing because, (laughs) hello, it was obvious. No, we can go and we can, we can watch the highlights 
We might do that as, as we watch the highlights and, and be reminded as certain plays happen, what was happening in our environment as we were watching certain plays. Like, do you remember when this happened? Because that's when Uncle Bob spilled his cheesy nachos all over the carpet. And do you remember when that happened? Because the dog tipped over, uh, you know, a, a cup of water or a cup of whatever all over the floor. And do you remember when that happened? Because then, you know, somebody was upset and the kid came in crying and you were like, can you please for one night just be okay? So we can watch the highlights and we can reminisce. We can go to the box score that documents and memorializes all of the specifics and the particulars of the things that happened in Super Bowl 57. But what we cannot do and what nobody really does is nobody is debating whether or not the Chiefs won because last I checked, the Lombardi Trophy was at one Arrowhead Drive. For most of us, as we watch sports, if sports watching is your thing, and it's my thing, we obsess over the score, and the score's a big deal. The score ultimately determines who wins or loses, but, but the score is really not the most critical element of the game, the clock is. Because when the clock strikes zero in the game, it's it, it's done, it's over. It no longer is, it was. There are no more plays to call, no more adjustments to make, no more shifts, no more, no more huddles in the middle of the court to try to figure out what are we going to do to respond to that situation. It's done. It's finished. It's over. It's written. It's set in stone. And there's nothing more that we can do because it has already happened. And in Super Bowl 57, everything that made either one group of people feel glory or, and, and the other people, group of people, feel agony was all confined to what happened in the 60 minutes of the game because the clock the things happen inside the confines of the clock is what dictated the experience that the players the coaches the front office and the fans of each team experienced when the clock hit zero not only is this true of a football game, I believe that there are powerful implications of this reality in our lives as well. Welcome to week two of training camp, where we are learning to live as champions in the faith. And what we're doing over these next few weeks, the summer's going to be broken up into a couple sections. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be learning the fundamentals, the foundational tenets of biblical Christianity so that we can understand the basics that guide us in the game of life. The title for today's message is Living for Eternity. Because what we need to understand in the game of life, just like in the game of football, is there's a clock. And we don't get to change the rules of the clock. We don't get to change the pace of the clock. And the clock, for all of us, just like in the game, will someday read double zeros, game over. And in order for us to be able to make the most of our lives, we have to come to terms with and wrestle with the reality that the clock one day for all of us is going to come to an end and we need to understand the implications of that and what we can do and should do in the moments we have left on the clock to make the most so that we can live for eternity. All throughout scripture, there are a couple of concepts that God brings up over and over and over again. There is what we can sense and what we can know. It's what all of human history is categorized by, and it is called time. 
Time is the measuring rod for all of our lives. Then there are the things that we cannot see, the things that we cannot sense and know, things that are beyond our understanding, things that are beyond time as we know it, called eternity. And eternity is something that, that has always been, has always existed, and in the, in the scope of eternity, there is this little bubble, this little capsule called time that measures all of what we know and experience in our life. Now, the reality of it is, is that the measure of existence that has existed forever and will continue to exist forever is known as eternity. Eternity cannot be measured. Time can be measured, but eternity cannot. And the concept of eternity, it's easy kind of on the surface to wrap our brains around like, yeah, I get it. Like it just kind of goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But if you ever sit down and think about the reality of something going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, like it defies our logic because you and I have never experienced something that lasted forever. Everything that you have ever seen, touched, tasted, saw, or felt, you sensed it for a duration of time and then the duration of time was over and then the sense you were using to engage in that thing, it ended and you moved on. The Bible talks a lot about time. It talks a lot about eternity. I want to share a couple of verses with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. The writer here is trying to help us understand that there are two dynamics at play. There is the dynamic of time. There is the, the, the measure of time, but, and that's what we can see, but there's something beyond what we can see called eternity. He says it this way, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation, our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. It's not here. We're just renting space from an Airbnb here. Our ultimate home is in heaven. And he goes on to say, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this concept of time and eternity. Let me, try to, let me try to illustrate it this way. Others have done it this way. I've done it this way before. Let me try to help us wrap our brains around eternity just for a little bit. This is eternity past, all right? The, 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 everything that was true before time began, and this is eternity future, and all of this ultimately is connected together. There is, no, there is no separating from eternity past or eternity future. And somewhere right in the middle of this thing is this little, little expanse, this little orange piece of tape called time. And in this little space, in the midst of all of eternity, is everything that has ever been known by any human ever. It starts here, right here. In the beginning with Adam and Eve and then, and then it moves forward. We get Moses and Abraham and, and then David and then we learn about the patriarchs and, and, and we're, we're, we're moving forward and then we get somewhere, kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe just a little bit past the middle, is we get Jesus. Jesus is the epicenter of time. Everything before Jesus and after Jesus hangs in the balance of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And after Jesus, we have, you know, the first century and a whole bunch of other centuries and probably some history teacher is going to email me this week saying, you didn't do it right. You got it out of order. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But we got like 
the dark ages and we got the middle ages and then, you know, we get somewhere towards the, you know, whatever was after the middle ages and other parts of world history and then, and then America. And if you are a fan of Ron Swanson, you perhaps maybe agree with his thoughts on history that everything before 1776 was a lie. Ron Swanson is a fictional character on a TV show. He's not a theologian. And then we fast forward and we've got, you know, no taxation without representation and this revolutionary war in America. And then, and then, and then we've got, you know, a bunch of other stuff that happened. And then, and then there's like, you know, the Great Depression. And then like World War I. And then World War II. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Y'all are losing respect for me big time right now. And then, and then like Vietnam, and then Reagan, and then before that was Carter, and then I'm just having fun now. The best part is that you don't know if I do or don't know. And then 1986, that was a good year. That was the year Jessica was born. Also me, but her mostly. And then in 1994, the Arkansas Razorbacks won the national championship in basketball, praise God. And then the year that we will not speak of except for that we won the Super Bowl. And then, and then right there, right, right there. That, that little bit of space that's you. You're born. You pooped. You puked. You cried. You walked. Hopefully you learned to not do some of those other things. And then, and then right, right, right there. In a space thinner than the width of my fingernail is where we are. All of the joys and the excitement and the stresses and the anxiety and the frustrations and the shut up, hurry up, get shoes on, get in the car, we gotta get to church today. All of that, right here, in the spans of all of eternity. This is it. The Bible says that our lives, in comparison to eternity, are like a vapor. It's here today. And then it's gone. For us, whether we get 30, 60, 100 years, in the span of all of this, it, it's just, it's over. And there's two truths that we have to understand about this. That what we believe about eternity, what we believe about all of this, will affect how you live today. You may choose to believe this is all just bogus, made up. We came from nothing, we'll die, we'll go to nothing, and it's all said and done with, and you know, the expanse of nothingness, and then so you'll live, you're, you're right here, you'll live your life based on that. 
Or maybe you'll think that the Bible's true and, okay, eternity really is real and God has always existed and, and God decided to make us and invite us into, into the story of all of this and then, and then here we are in church today and hoping the preacher doesn't take an eternity to preach this message. That was for Brian. Apparently, I've been long-winded the last few weeks. What you believe about eternity will affect how you live today. At the same time, the other truth is that what we do in our lives right here today in this little spot, what you do right here with this, with your vapor, with your few seconds that are ticking on the clock in relationship to eternity, what you do right here in this little space affects what you experience in eternity. And what God wants us to know, God never wanted us to be surprised, by the way, of this reality. God never wanted us to be surprised. God never wanted anyone to get to the end of their life and go, God, I had no idea that someday it's going to end. I had no idea what to, I didn't know what was going to be there. God's not some mischievous God that's just waiting around. When you die, he's like, gotcha. No, out of his, in his love for you and his grace for you, he's written and documented and recorded exorbitantly the reality of eternity, the reality of time. And I don't have time today to go into all the implications of, of eternity and, and what happens after you die and, 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 and what is heaven like. But what I did on your handout is I gave you some message titles that I preached with some dates for you to go and check them out. You can do a deeper dive that, that's going to walk you through the Bible. What happens after you die? It's going to talk about heaven. It's going to talk about hell. And it's going to talk about um, what is heaven like, part one and part two, because, you know, it's an eternity. It took a little while for a preacher man to get it all in there. And you can go do a deeper dive, but I want you to understand today that Jesus, God never wanted you to be surprised. Instead, what, what God does is God has given us some, some clues. He's given us some hints. And, 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 and in Matthew chapter six, he begins to tell us, I want to give you a second to turn there because we're going to spend a few moments on this text because God wants us to understand that, that not everything that we do in our little, our little moment, our vapor, our few ticks on the clock, not everything that we do in that, in that span of life matters, at least not, not in the sake of eternity. In fact, there's a, there's a relatively few number of things that we can do in our few seconds on the clock that matter, that impacts all of this, that impacts what we experience when we get here. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter six. If you're with me in Matthew chapter six, let me hear you say the word eternity. This is what he says. He says, do not. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, don't do it. Don't do it. And tell that neighbor, I ain't going to. That's Arkansas here means I will not do that. <laughs> Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, we already talked about how what we can see is temporary. And it's going to fade away. Jesus goes and gives us some more detail. He says, because what you invest in the treasures you invest here on earth, let me tell you what's going to happen. Moth and rust are going to destroy it and thieves are going to break in and steal it. It's going to decay. It's going to rust. And whatever doesn't decay, whatever doesn't rust, someone's going to come along and it's going to take it from you. Instead, Jesus offers this instruction. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
Why? Well, because in heaven, it's, it's not temporal, it's not temporary, it's eternal. In heaven, he goes on to say, neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. No, ain't, ain't nothing to getting decayed in heaven and the bank of, of heaven is secure. No one's breaking in and going to steal it. Not only is no one going to break in and steal it, there's nobody in heaven who wants to. So Jesus gives us a choice. Jesus always gives us a choice. He will often demand things of us that are difficult, but he will never force you to do it. Instead, he will constantly give you a choice. And he's given you a choice today. He's giving us a choice that, that we can choose. Where, what are we going to do with our time, with our talent, and our treasures? Are we going to spend it investing in the things of this world that are temporary, that's going to fade away, that's going to decay, that's going to get stolen from us? Or... Are we going to invest in the things of eternity with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure so that it can go on and it can be safe, it can be secure, it's not going to be a depreciating asset, and it's going to accumulate um, exponentially so that when we get to heaven, we find out that we're not bankrupt. And then Jesus says this, connected to all of this, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I have, I've preached this verse many times, and every time I preach this verse, I've always kind of taken it from the angle of, okay, if you show me your bank account, I will show you what you love. Okay, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But as I was preparing this week, God showed me something new about this text today um, in preparation for this that I want to help you understand that Jesus is not just saying that your heart reveals, um, that your heart reveals your interest, although it is saying that. But it's also saying that our heart will follow our interest. I want you to think about it this way. We so often hear that we need to let our heart lead the way. It is terrible advice. You know why it's terrible advice? Because your heart, your feelings, your emotions, they were never intended to be leaders. They were intended to be followers. When you follow your heart, when you follow your emotions, you will most often find yourself in a place that is in an overwhelming and abundance of regret and joy and fulfillment and gratitude are in short supply. Why? Because our heart, our heart was not intended to be the leading thing. Our heart was intended to be a follower. Jesus is implying something else. And so if we think of laying up our treasures like investing, then we can think about it this way, that Jesus is saying that your heart will change based on the direction of your investment. Your heart will follow where your investment goes. That where you are invested, your heart will develop a love for that thing. This is good news, by the way, for a marriage that is struggling in God's house today. Because you are here today and you're thinking, I just don't love them anymore. Okay. I, I get that. But your heart is a great follower, but it's a terrible leader. Instead, you need to invest your mind on the facts and the things that are true. And what's true is, is that you stood before them and stood before God and didn't, you didn't just sign a contract, you made a covenant. You said for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Basically, the gates of hell can come against us, baby, but I'm gonna be standing right here. 
And let me tell you why this is good news today. Because when you focus your mind on the things that are true, that that is your spouse, that God has knit you together and bound you together and no one should separate him. When you focus your mind and your intent on what is true, instead of allowing your heart to focus on what you feel, then what will happen is, is your heart will eventually change how it feels. Why? Because your heart changes based on the direction of your investment. Let me say it this way today, that your heart will go where your life is focused. When you focus your life in a certain direction, when you set yourself out on a course heading, your heart will follow you there. And when your heart catches up to what you focus on, you will find all kinds of overwhelming joy. But when you allow your heart to lead the way, it leads to bad things. Some of us need to stop letting how we feel about something be the leading force behind what we do or how we do it. Instead, we need to let the truth of Jesus lead our investments to change our investment and focus. And as we do, we will experience an internal transformation of the heart. As I was working on preparing this message, I came across a message from a pastor that I admire and respect a whole lot. And he talked about this idea of seven things that you can't do in eternity. And, and as I heard it, I thought about you and I thought about us and I thought about this particular message and thinking about um, in the landscape of eternity because I think he's exactly right. Not only are these seven things that we can't do in eternity, these are seven things that if you'll do them now, it will position you to live for eternity. And if you will do them now, not only will it position you to live for eternity, but it will position you to lay up your treasures in heaven, in eternity, so that when you get there, you don't, you're not bankrupt. I want to share these with you. Seven things that you can't do in eternity. The first is you can't pray prayers that shake the gates of hell. You can't do that in eternity. When Jesus initiated the idea of the church, he, he told them that, 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 that I'm going to be with you. I'm starting this thing. And here's the deal. As you go from this place forward, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. Now, if you go with us to Israel next year in May, and we're going to do some info meetings about that in early fall, and we'll get the details to you. But if you go to Israel with us in May of next year, I will, we'll go to the place where Jesus stood, and you'll understand the context of what they would have known and understood when Jesus said that. Because Jesus was not just saying, hey, I'm going to start this church, and the gates of hell are coming after you, so you, know, you, you can stand, or you can run, or you can go, but they're not going to overcome you. That's not what he meant. What he meant was, is I'm sending you through the gates of hell, with my church and as you go through the gates of hell it's not going to wear you down and it's not going to it's not going to burn you out it's not going to kill the movement that I'm beginning called my church and so what we need to do is we need to recognize that we've got to pray prayers that shake the gates of hell now we need to stop if you are a follower of Jesus we need to stop resigning ourselves to the reality that God can't heal my marriage we need to stop resigning ourselves to the reality that God will not save that person we need to stop just believing that God can't bring healing to our medical hardship or the belief that that God can't help me lead me out of this financial crisis 
houses. We've got to stop believing those things and we've got to start praying prayers that shake the gates of hell because what the enemy's doing is he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life and through the inner working of all of the stuff that's coming at you, the enemy is whispering in your mind, God isn't loving, God isn't good, God isn't kind, God doesn't care about you. If God really cared, then he wouldn't this, that, or the other and we've got to realize that that's the gates of hell trying to prevail against us and we need to start praying prayers that shake the gates of hell and reminding the devil of hell who has the power and it's not him. Here's the second thing we can't do in eternity. We can't lift the poor in eternity. Primarily because there's not going to be any poverty in eternity. There's not going to be any need. There's not going to be any less thans or have nots. There's not going to be homelessness. No one's going to worry about where they're going to eat in eternity. Jesus said, the poor and the sick you will always have with you. While you're here on this earth, you will always have the poor and the sick. And so God has given us the opportunity now to minister to the poor, to lift the poor. Jesus said, at one point, he said, you didn't know it, but when you were ministering to the poor person, you were entertaining angels and you were entertaining me. You, what you did to the least of them, you were doing it to me. And the disciples like, well, we didn't see you there. And Jesus like, I know you didn't, but I was in it because you did it in my name because I've called you to lift the poor. We can't do that in eternity. Here's the other thing that we can't do in eternity. We cannot share the gospel and see someone place their faith in Jesus in eternity. It's not going to happen. And listen, I, I start getting maybe a little prickly and you might feel like I'm poking at you a little bit and I am a little bit. But let me ask you, do you have anybody in your life that's close to you but far from God? Can I just, can I just tell you this? that They're not going to magically get saved by osmosis by sitting next to you. They, you can't attach them and just kind of tandem skydive into the pearly gates. Like, they're with me. They're good. Your mom's not just going to magically get saved because you told her that you go to church. Scripture says that, that we have to come to faith in Christ and, and we, we can't come to faith in Christ without speaking the name of Jesus. And if you're, if you're not actively looking for opportunities and engaging in conversations to share your faith, ooh, man, you are missing out. I've done a couple of thrill-seeking. I'm, I'm, I'm like a quasi-adrenaline junkie a little bit, like quasi. Once I calculate what might break in my body if I do that, and then if I'm okay with that risk analysis, then I do that thing. But man, there are very few things in my life that get my heart pounding and the adrenaline pumping, like being in a conversation with somebody that I know doesn't know Jesus, and I see the door opening as, it's, as I'm coming towards it to turn the conversation towards spiritual things and to tell them about what Jesus did in my life and to invite them to consider giving Jesus a chance for their life. Man, I'm going to tell you something. My heart starts pounding. My ears start, I can feel my ears start turning red. My cheeks start getting a little flush. And man, it, it is like, whoa, here it is. This is it. This is the moment. Am I going 
going to take it? Am I going to take the jump? Am I taking the leap? Are we going there? And unfortunately, there's been too many times in my life where I'm like, not now. I'm going to keep pedaling this way. Talk about news weather sports. But God wants us to share our faith. And I get it. You know, well, I'm not really an evangelist, pastor. You, you're an evangelist. You stand up there every week. Like, you... you Preach it and good for you, man. Like I, the idea of public speaking, like, like, did you know this, like, this is a real question. Did you know that statistically there are more people afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying? I don't get that. I mean, I realize I speak in public a lot. Anyway, I'm on a tangent. You're like, preacher, I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't know as much about the Bible as you do. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't speak so good and, and I get nervous. And I get it. Some people, are, some people are extroverts. Where are my extroverts at? You don't have to ask them to raise their hand. They were waiting to do it. You can always tell the extroverts in the room, by the way, when we do the little meet and greet time. They're the ones who are like, hey, how are you? It's like an internal extrovert competition. How many people did you say hi to? I said hi to 48. How about you? 74. <laughs> Meanwhile, the introverts are like, I just really want to just sit here. Can I just sit? Maybe if I don't make eye contact, maybe they won't look at me. Oh, dang it, I hear him coming. Oh, crap. What's better, to try to make eye contact with that introvert who's obviously not looking at me or to make eye contact with him who's coming? I'm number 47, and he's going to want to talk to me. Danged if I do, danged if I don't. Dear Lord, would Brian please stop playing the music so the preacher man will start preaching? Time is drawing to a close. The clock is drawing nigh. Please, I'm going to die. But can I just tell you, like, sharing the gospel is not something that is reserved specifically for people who are extroverted. If your life has been changed by Jesus then Jesus invites you and he actually takes it a step further. He commands you to be a witness to how he has changed your life. And if Jesus has truly changed your life and the more you allow Jesus to have access to all of the, the nooks and crannies of the corners of your heart and your life, can I, you, like here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna start noticing and eventually someone's be like, what's wrong with you? Something's up. Why are you so happy? You met who? Huh. And he helped you get over the shame and the guilt and the anxiety that you were, okay. And you've got peace in your marriage. <laughs> Liar. Wow. And you feel like you're not overcome and overwhelmed by the burdens of life? And what was his name again and how do I meet him? When you begin to allow Jesus to change your life, those kinds of things will begin to happen if you would open the eyes of your spirit to be able to see these. And I just got to tell you, I believe, listen to me, I believe the church needs more people sharing the gospel. Listen to me, I love you. One of the most significant things you can do to put an adrenaline shot into your faith is to share your faith with somebody. 
And part of what leads to a church being alive a church being vibrant, a church making an impact in the community is not just about how good the music is or how good the preaching is or look how good the website looks. Those things are helpful, but that's not really it. You know what really is the thing? It's when the people of the church begin looking for opportunities to show and share the love of Jesus with the people in their sphere of influence. Man, the church needs more of that. Here's something else you can't do in eternity. You can't choose obedience because there will be no choice to it. Everybody will obey God all the time. But what God does while we're here on earth in this place that is temporary, God gives us the option to choose obedience. Jesus gave us the option today. Which way are you going to invest your time, talent, and treasure? Towards the things of this earth or towards eternity? And here's what's crazy. When we choose obedience, then God's promise is to respond with a blessing. Now, sometimes those blessings will be things that could be measured in dollars and cents. Frequently, they will be blessings that are measured by quality of life, meaning you've got more joy, more peace, more, 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 more freedom, more, more victory in your life. But always, 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 it will be rewarded in heaven. We can't choose obedience when we get there. So let's make the decision to say yes now. God, I'm going to choose you now. It's a free will to choose you. I could choose to do something else, but my faith is built when I say yes to you. And not only is my faith built when I say yes to you, I begin to experience you working in my life and working through my life. And other people's lives are impacted because of my obedience. So I'm going to say yes now, because when I get to eternity, there's not going to be anybody to impact with my obedience. Here's the next thing. We can't leverage our resources for the things that last forever when we get to eternity. Because we'll already be in the place where everything lasts forever. Let me put it another way. You're not going to get to heaven and regret serving on the setup and teardown team twice a month. That's not going to happen. You're not going to have a conversation with God and say, you know, God, I, you know, it kind of sucked down there, but there were some good things. And I, you know, now that I'm here, I tell you, I think that was a mistake serving on setup and teardown. That was a mistake. Serving in kids. I don't even like kids. That was a mistake. You're not going to regret a single penny that you gave back to God to advance the mission of Jesus across the globe. You're not going to get there and say, you know what, God, I, that kid from Compassion that we sponsored, how you doing, kid? Good to see you. Glad you're here. That was a mistake. I mean, somebody else could have done it. I mean, could we really know? I mean, you know God, but, you know, that was a mistake. You know what I could have done with that $38? I could have got, like, two Starbucks drinks a month. I could have gone out with my family of five and two of us could have eaten. <laughs> That's what I could have done with that. Listen to me, you're not, you're not going to regret that stuff. Because when you leverage your resources for the things that last forever, by the way, do you want to know what lasts forever? It's two things. It's the word of God, which John 1 says is Jesus, and it's the souls of people. 
anything that you invest in this life that advances the word of God and impacts the souls of people, you're not going to get to heaven and go, I kind of regret that. You might get to heaven and say, I really wish I would have done more of it. Here's another thing. You can't face persecution when you get to, get to eternity. I mean, amen? Anybody? You can't face persecution for being a follower of Jesus when you get to eternity. Amen. Man, that's good news. Why, why are we talking about this one? Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says that we should count it all joy we fall into various hardships and trials because the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance when it has its perfect work in us produces more faithfulness so that we could be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Jesus said, listen, you need to know this world is gonna hate you because the world hates me, but be of good cheer because I overcame the world. See, when we face persecution now, it's an opportunity with our lives to shout from the mountaintops. There is something more than what you see, people. Why am I going through this persecution? Because there's something more than this little bit that we're all obsessed by and my little corner of the dirt and all of my stuff on social media and what the crap the politicians are doing and the economic situation. There's so much more I need y'all to know so I'm willing to face a little persecution so that y'all can know there's something waiting when you get to the end of this and I don't want you to be surprised we can't do that when we get to eternity here's the last thing that we can't do when we get to eternity we can't say yes to Jesus for salvation when we get to eternity now listen, there's lots of opinions about heaven and hell and, and who gets in and who gets out. I just got to tell you that it breaks my heart for the reality that there's a lot of people who think that heaven has a walk-ins welcome policy. It does not. When the clock hit zero, and we didn't say yes to Jesus for salvation. We can't walk up with all of our good works and how much money we gave away and how much I served and, 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 and how much I tried to be a good person. None, none of that stuff is going to matter because there, there's, no, there's no walk-ins welcome policy. Heaven is an extremely exclusive place and only the people whose name is written on the guest list get in. And even if you could work and earn your way onto the guest list, the price of the ticket is greater than you are able to pay yourself. This is the reason why God in his love for all of humanity sent Jesus into the world to, to live a perfect life as being fully God and fully man. It's the reason why God had to allow his son to die on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity because sin always requires a payment and not you and not me. None of us are able to fully satisfy the demand of that payment. Only a perfect sacrifice would do and that's why Jesus came 
came. And Jesus came and he died to be that perfect sacrifice. He went into the grave and on the third day, he came back from the grave to prove that he was not just a dude, he was God. And he did it because he loves you. And here's what you need to understand today. If you are here today, listen, I, I can hear the voice of the enemy speaking into someone's life today. Well, that's not really true because that God's not really worth it. Because if God was so good, then why do, why do, why do, bad, why do good people go to such a bad place called hell? And if God is so good, then why do bad things happen? And, and listen, the, the, the enemy is going to whisper into your mind all of these philosophical arguments that are all just distraction, smoke and mirrors, to get your mind distracted from the reality that only those who say yes to Jesus while there's still time on the clock get in to heaven. And the crazy part is, is God right now is sitting with the guest list open, pen in hand, and he is hoping, he is hoping, he is hoping that you will say, put me on the list. I'm saying yes to Jesus, put me on the list. Because the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. We can't do any of these things in, in eternity. There just won't be an opportunity for us. So, so what if now, knowing that we can't do these things once we get out of this space called time and we can't do them in eternity and if the things that I do now matter for the things in eternity, then what if, what if you decided I'm gonna be about those things? I'm going to make the decision about those things that I'm going to do them now. I'm not, going to, I'm not just going to continue to willy-nilly and, and try to build up my 401k and, 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 and fantasize about the vacation. And, and, and if we can just get here with the house, if we can just get to the kids at this age, we can get out of diapers, then praise God. If, if we can get them, you know, so that they start driving, then we don't have to drive all over the known universe to get them to things. If I can just get, if I can just get out of my parents' house, oh, please, dear God, get me out of mom and dad's house. They are fun suckers. They are murderers of fun (laughs) I just get out of their house then you really realize how expensive things are what if we made the decision if this is all I've got then how much sense does it make to spend all of this living for this I mean, if this is what's possible, then what if I, what if I took my, my breath, my vapor, my few seconds, and I lived it for that? I'll tell you what happened, your life would never be the same. I love the old hymn. Turn my eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, the bills, the anxiety, the never-ending to-do list, the calendar, the frustrations, the financial hardships, the medical difficulties, 
the wondering if I'm ever going to get there, the wondering if I'm ever going to measure up, the wondering if I'm ever going to make it, the wondering if I'm ever going to get over the hump. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace of eternity. The day is going to come where time is going to run out and your few seconds are going to be over and your vapor will have evaporated and it will be done. And the record of your life will be recorded. And once it is, you can't change it. It'll be done. It'll be finished. So I want to ask you to consider these seven things that are on your handout. Which of these seven things do you need to reorient your life around? Which of these seven things do you need to start doing now while you can so that when you get to eternity and you can't, that you've got something something to show for your vapor. If you are a follower of Jesus in this place today, let me be clear. Do not store up your time, your talent, and your treasure in the things of this earth. It's not bad to have fun on vacation. We're going in a couple weeks, and I love y'all, and I love Kansas City. I'm ready to get out of here for a few weeks. It's not bad to have a nice house. It's not bad to have a nice car. It's not bad to, listen, y'all, none of that stuff is bad. I'm just asking you, are you, are you investing in this? Stop doing that. And start investing for this. How? Just look at the list and pick one of those seven. Maybe talk to your spouse and say, baby, we're making some changes. Because all of this stuff is going to decay and rust away and whatever doesn't, it's going to be taken from us. Like someone's going to come in and take it or the government's going to tax us and take it or we'll hand it off and, you know, somebody will convince our kids that they need to spend their money on that and then they'll take it. And invest it in the stuff that doesn't rust, the stuff that doesn't decay, the stuff that's never destroyed, and the stuff that is locked tight that receives an exponential rate of return. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816 203 If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.